I'm thankful to be here with you today. There's no place I would rather be at this moment than with you opening God's Word together. And that includes in front of a TV watching a football game that for some reason is being played at 9.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Should be a crime. It's currently 0-0 with about six minutes left in the first quarter. For those curious. That'll be the last time we talk about it in this service. We're going to focus our attention on God's Word. We're in the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, this is our 12th and final sermon in the book of Colossians. Uh, We're going to finish the chapter uh, today. And uh, I wonder if anyone like me used to love the show MacGyver. Can I get an amen for MacGyver? It's such a good show. When I was a kid, I would come home from grade school, the bus would drop us off at 3 or 3.30 or whatever it was, and I'd have a a gap of time before mom and dad got home, and I would watch MacGyver reruns on USA. That was the network that always came on, I remember, or TBS or one of those uh, cable networks, and I would watch MacGyver. MacGyver, for those who don't know, one, I'm sorry, uh, two, MacGyver was a problem solver. He he was an adventure seeker, um, apparently a pacifist, because he always needed a gun and he never had one. Um, But MacGyver was a guy who would get out of difficult situations, catch the bad guy or, or save the day by reusing or reinventing a purpose for some tool. He would, he would take whatever resources he had, and he would use them not in the way that the resource was meant to be used, but in the way that he needed to use it to get out of the problem that he was facing. Uh, one, one episode, he needed hiking boots. He was stuck in the mountains or something like that and lost his shoes. And so he made hiking boots out of the duct tape in his backpack, right? And he trudges through the hills with duct tape Uh, hiking boots. In another episode, I I remember he made a soldering iron out of like a car battery, uh, some cables, and and like some some silver dollars or something like that. It was just crazy inventions that he would come up with uh, to to help solve uh, problems. And this makes for good TV. I have some questions about the scientific accuracy of some of his inventions, frankly. But the, the thing about his inventions is they get him out of the jam that he's in but they're probably not good long-term solutions for the tools that he makes. Like, I'm sure MacGyver, when he got back home, he got his normal hiking boots out of the closet and wore those instead of wearing his duct tape boots day after day after day. Because when you use something for a purpose that it's not meant to be used for, it creates frustration. It never works quite like it should. It's never quite as good at the job as it's meant to be, and it may get you by, but it's not how it was intended to be used. And When you use a tool the wrong way over and over and over again, it leads to frustration and disappointment and sometimes anger. And as I think about this text in Colossians chapter 4, it's going to talk about this morning what our job is in life. In other words, what we were made to do, the tool that we are and how we're meant to be used. And I'm convinced that many of us experience a measure of frustration in our lives because we're not functioning in the way that God designed us to. We're not being used as tools the way that God intends for us to be used. And while we may be getting by in life, we're not actually thriving, so to speak, in life because of this misuse of our lives, the way we spend our lives. And so with that as introduction, let's read the book of Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 2, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word 
to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will, will greet you and tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Art Artisticus, Aristicus, I almost got that wrong, Aristocrus. You guys try to pronounce it, okay? He's my fellow prisoner, Paul says. He greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see to it that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that the Lord has received, that you have received in the Lord. Finally, verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Colossians and the encouragement it's been to me. And I thank you, Lord, that you have created each and every one of us for a purpose. And so, Lord, as we dive into what that purpose is, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you draw us near? Lord, would you help us to be thankful, as Paul tells us to do here as well. Be honored by the preaching of your word. Will we be not just hearers of it, but doers also, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These are Paul's concluding remarks to the church at Colossae. He said a lot. We've worked through all of it, and this is kind of his final rundown. And there's really more or less two sections to this text. There's the passage on, on prayer and on Paul's ministry, and then there's the section where he basically lists off a bunch of names, a lot of which are hard to pronounce, and he gives greetings and, and basically shout-outs or call-outs to these uh, people. And, but what this, really, this passage is really about is it's about missionaries. It's about Paul's life as a missionary. Paul was a missionary. That was his purpose in life, was to go town to town, sharing the good news of Jesus, planting churches, setting up leaders of those churches, and then he would leave and do it over again. That's what Paul did from the time that the Lord saved him to the time that the Lord called him home as he was a missionary. But it's not just about Paul's life as a missionary. It's about Paul's companions. Paul didn't do ministry by himself. He had a long list of people that he served with in these towns that he went to. And so he talks about those people as well. But it's not just about Paul and his ministry team. It's also about the church at Colossae and their life as missionaries. He says, you have a missionary call as well. And here's how you, church, should go about it. And so this whole chapter, basically, chapter 4, is about the missionary life and the missionary call. As we think about what it means to be the people that God's called us to be, a fundamental 
mindset shift must take place in every Christian at some point. And this is what it is, is that God sends you as missionaries into the world. And that's what this passage is about. That's what this whole chapter is about. And that's the main idea of our our time today is that God sends us collectively, this group right here, God sends us as missionaries into the world. Our purpose in life, your purpose in life is not happiness. Your purpose in life is not success. Your purpose in life, I'm convinced above all else, is to live on mission for Christ in this life. Your mission is to live for Jesus and to make him known and to point other people to him. And a life lived on mission for Christ is success. And I'm convinced a life lived on mission for Christ will lead to happiness. And above all, it's a life that glorifies God. And so my goal this morning is to be super practical. We spent a lot of time in theory here in Colossians. Paul gets down to brass tacks today, and so we'll do the same in our time. And I want to equip you. My goal is that when you leave here this morning, you have some basic tools to begin living your lives as missionaries. And so we're going to talk about three things that you've got to know living as a missionary. And the first one is this, is that mission begins with prayer. Mission begins with prayer. He starts this section by asking for prayer. Verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. What does he ask him to pray for? He says, pray for us. He says, pray for us that God's going to give me an open door. Pray for me that God's going to help me to speak clearly. Pray for us. And the reason Paul does that is because spiritual work requires spiritual foundation. And sharing the good news of the gospel is spiritual work. Here's what we know about salvation. Just from our study of scripture, even in this very book of the Bible, salvation is brought about by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes someone. God changes someone's heart and makes them new and they are born again. And that happens when they put their faith in Jesus for salvation and what he did on the cross. And so you've got Father, you've got Son, you've got Holy Spirit involved in this work of salvation. It's something that only God can do. It's something only the triune God can do. And so it makes a lot of sense to ask for his help, doesn't it? Prayer is foundational to any move of God. And it is the height of arrogance for us for any of us who want to minister on the Lord's behalf, which includes all of us here, it is a height of arrogance to say, I'm going to step in to the life-changing ministry of sharing the gospel, but I don't need your help, God. But that's what we do sometimes when we don't go to the Lord in prayer before we step out in faith. Prayer is the foundation for any move of God. I don't know how it works. I know you guys want me to have all the answers. I apologize. I do not have all the answers. Prayer is a mystery. Amen? How prayer works. Like, here's what we know, right? The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that God is sovereign, God rules over the universe, God knows who's going to be saved, uh, that salvation is a work of God. The Bible says all of that, right? No, the Bible also says that God responds to the prayers of his people, that that, that prayer changes things. How do those two things work together? I don't know. Neither do you. You can read a million books, you'll never solve it. But the Bible is clear that God responds to the prayers of his people. And so if we want to see God move in the lives of those that we love, we have to begin with prayer. Two small tips, practical, actionable tips on praying. First, I want to encourage you to pray regularly. 
Pray regularly. These words, pray steadfastly, the Apostle Paul says. He says, also be watchful in prayer. These communicate that he's not asking for one-off prayers. This is not prayer requests at the end of the Bible study where we say we're going to pray and we forget all about it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, nobody's amen in that. You guys are acting like you've never done that. That's fine. That's fine. We won't be honest today. Paul's saying, no, I need you to be steadfast and watchful in these prayers. I need you to be persistent in these prayers. So I want to encourage you to build a daily time where you go to God in prayer for those who need Jesus. The morning is a great space to do it. When you wake up and you begin your day, you get your Bible, and you sit down and, and pray. Spend five minutes. Just If you're not praying at all, just spend five minutes praying that God would work in the lives of people that need him. A lot of people have a lot of success praying over their lunch break. You grab whatever the leftovers you are that you brought to the office, and you sit and you can use that time instead of just scrolling mindlessly on the phone, catching up on the latest news of the day that is always the same news every day somehow. Instead of doing that, why not spend that time praying over people in your life that need Christ? If you have a commute to or from work, that's a great space alone where you can meet with God and pray on behalf of others who need Jesus. I don't care when or where. I don't think God cares a whole lot when or where or how. I think God does, though, care deeply that we pray. Paul here, he knows that the effectiveness of his missionary call is directly connected to the fervency with which he is prayed for. And so he says, would you pray for me, please? The same is true in our life. Persistence in prayer is how things get done in the spiritual realm, and so let's be people who beg God to move. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to visit my grandmother. She lives in South Georgia. She's 93 years old. I took the kids over there and uh, stopped by her assisted living facility. And we just visited for an hour or so, just catching up. And she's got her apartment there just decorated with all sorts of pictures, all sorts of old pictures. The oldest one I could find was from the mid-1930s of, of her brother and some of, some of her friends. And she was tell, tell me stories about them. But there's also pictures of my grandfather there, Chesley Rayburg. That's where I get my middle name from them. And uh, I, Chesley Rayburg and my grandmother are the biggest reminder to me of the power of persistent Prayer. My grandmother and grandfather were married for more than 50 years, uh, and most of that time, the vast majority of that time, my grandfather was not walking with the Lord. He was a larger-than-life figure. He was loved and known by everybody, but he hadn't given his heart to Christ. He hadn't surrendered his life to the Lord, and this deeply grieved my grandmother. And so she would pray for him. Day after day, she would pray that the Lord would save him. Day after day turned into week after week, which turned into month after month, which turned into year after year, which turned into decade after decade of praying that God would rescue my grandfather. And 50 plus years went by without that prayer being answered. But she was persistent in prayer. And probably about 25 years ago, I got to go to my grandfather's baptism service and watch him go under the water and come out. You will never convince me that my grandmother's persistence in prayer wasn't a deciding factor in my grandfather's salvation. I watched his life change dramatically. I watched him, a lifelong drinker, never touch a sip of alcohol again. I watched uh, him with a mouth of a sailor immediately just clean up his language. You could see the life change happen in real time. And as a, as a, uh, I was 12 or so years old, I think, at the time, it had a profound impact on me. When he passed away a few years later, man, the joy and the peace that comes with knowing, I've seen his salvation happen. How did it happen? 
through the persistent prayer of one person begging God to move. I wonder if there's someone in your life who you need God to get a hold of, who you need God to rescue, who you need God to, to captivate their heart. I want to encourage you to begin praying today for that person and never stop until the Lord answers their prayer. Beg God to save. I don't know how it works, but he does. So pray regularly. I also want to encourage you to pray specifically. Paul, he doesn't, he doesn't just list out and say, hey, pray for my ministry, guys. He lines out specific prayer requests of what he wants this church to pray for. He says, I want you to pray for an open door of ministry. Would you pray for a, a, an open door, a way to get my foot in, a way to get the conversation started? Would you pray for an open door? And then he prays that he would declare Jesus, that he would get to declare the mystery of Christ, which is just another way of saying the gospel. He says, I, I, I want to get to Jesus. I want to pr- 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 uh, proclaim Jesus. So would you pray for, for that? Then he asks for clarity. He said, would you help me to be clear? Would you pray that I would be clear as I proclaim Christ? And I want to encourage you to be specific in your prayers as well. Do you have someone that needs Jesus? Pray their name to the Lord. Be specific. Pray for open doors, even specific situations. Maybe you know you're going to interact with them in this way or that way, or you'll be with them. Ask the Lord for an open door in that time. Pray for their specific situations or circumstances that God might use those things to draw them to himself. I'd also encourage you to pray for yourself in relation to their salvation. All right, does that make sense? I want you to pray for yourself in relation to their salvation. Paul, in, in our passage, he actually doesn't pray for fruit. He doesn't pray that they would get, people would get saved. He doesn't pray for anything other than he says, hey, would you pray for me that as I am used by God, that it would go well, that I would have an open door and be clear in my gospel presentation. So I would encourage you to pray for yourself as well. Pray that you would have open doors. Pray that you would have courage to speak. Pray that you would have clarity as you share. And I've found that those who pray for opportunities to be used by God always, almost always seem to find them. If you're asking God, use me, use me, I want to be used as an instrument in your hands, those prayers seem to get answered pretty regularly. God is eager to use us to reach those around us for Jesus. Second thing that we've got to know as missionary people is that our mission centers on a message. Our mission centers on a message. Paul says his task was to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And he talks about this mystery all the time. He mentions it four times in Colossians. He mentions it in almost all of his writings. This mystery of Christ, it isn't some secret knowledge. It isn't some Bible code that needs to be unlocked. It's just the message of the gospel, which the, the message of how God would redeem the world would bring those who are far near. Prophets had prophesied about this, and there had been some idea of what would happen and how it happened, but the specifics were not totally clear until Jesus arrives. And he says, pray that I might have clarity to explain the mystery of Christ. Missionaries do a lot of things. We, we, our church supports many missionaries, the variety of different channels and streams. Missionaries do a lot of things, but at the end of the day, missionaries carry a message. They carry a message. Last week, uh, the, the International Mission Board, which is a mission sending agency that our church and about 47,000 other churches support financially, your giving goes there uh, regularly. They had a, a sending celebration where they, they gathered the next batch of missionaries that they would send on to the international mission field. 70 people in Virginia for this time of worship and prayer and celebrating as we send these people to carry a message. And they're going to do a variety of things wherever the Lord is sending them. 
Some of them are going to do medical missions by, by serving a community through uh, being a doctor or a nurse. Others will do hunger-related work in a community, bringing, meeting physical needs. Others will serve in orphanages or something like that. I even read of one missionary who's going to Japan. He's going to serve as an illustrator, and that's going to be his kind of open door he'll do. But all of these people, at the end of the day, what they're doing is just a means to an end. They're going to carry a message, right? And the same is true for us, that as, as we are sharing Jesus, we have got to proclaim Jesus. We've got to proclaim Jesus. All of the good work that we do, all of the service to our community, all of the kind deeds we do to our neighbors, they're all in service of the message of the gospel. Jesus is the only solution to our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is that we have been separated from God by our sins. And this is true of every human being that's ever lived. Separated from God with no hope for eternity. No chance to be redeemed. A price too big for them to pay. Too big for you to pay. Too big for me to pay. A gap between us and God that is absolutely insurmountable. But God in his kindness sends his son, Jesus, to stand in our place, pay the price for our sins so that we no longer have to pay the punishment that we deserve. You and I don't have to pay the price for our sins because Jesus has done it for us. The Lord has solved every human being's greatest problem through Jesus. That's the message that we proclaim. That's the gospel. But I want to encourage you, as we're sharing our faith, make sure that Jesus is the centerpiece of the story. A lot of times we can spend so much time setting the table for our gospel presentation that we never actually get to the meal, right? We're so eager to get it just right and make it just so and cultivate the relationship or whatever's going on that we never actually get to the gospel. But the gospel is the centerpiece. This passage, it tells us as we share Jesus, we should do so with wisdom. And so that's our next tip is to proclaim the gospel with wisdom. In this passage, wisdom means having a sense of urgency. He says, make best use of the time. There's an urgency. There should be an urgency to our missionary calling, church. He says, we ought to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. This is another word for non-believers, non-Christians. We should make the best use of our time. We've got to have a sense of urgency. There's never a perfect time to share Christ with people, but there's always a time to share Christ. And people who have a sense of urgency and who are serious about their missionary call, they notice those opportunities a lot faster than the average person does. Several weeks ago, been, a couple months ago now, uh, we, we had our beach baptism service at Neptune Beach, and Pastor Matt and I were walking from the parking lot to the beach, and we walked past a guy who was working in his yard. And he asked, he said, hey, what are you guys doing? What's going on? I've seen people in these crazy bright, bright blue shirts. What are, what's going on? And what I love is Pastor Matt did not hesitate. He stepped right in to tell people exact, tell this guy exactly what we're doing. Hey, we're going to baptize these people who've put their faith in Jesus. Do you, know, do you know Jesus? I don't remember exactly what you said, Matt, but something along, I mean, you just went for it. And I loved it. No, like, hey, let's butter this guy up. Let's, you know, let's make sure he doesn't think we're weird before we say something. Guys, gospel's weird, right? Anytime you tell someone, hey, I'm following this guy who hung on a tree and died and they pulled him out of the grave and he was alive and he's paid the price with his blood. From it. The gospel's weird, okay? But he just went for it. 
And I think people who have a gospel urgency about them, when they see that door open that Paul is praying for, they step right on through it, don't they? I want us to be a people who have a gospel urgency about it. People give us openings all the time, and I think sometimes we're just reluctant to take them. You have conversations at work. How many times have you had a conversation that says, I don't know what's going to happen to our country if so-and-so wins the election? You, ever, you get worried about that? It's a wide-open door. That's not a political conversation. That's a theological conversation. The response to that is, yeah, I hope, I hope so-and-so doesn't get elected because we're all, you know, I don't know. The answer to that is, yeah, I have strong political opinions, but you know what? Ultimately, I'm not afraid of the future because I know the Lord holds the future in his hands and I trust him. Do you know that, Jesus? You've got a wide open door to share Christ, to evangelize for the king instead of a president. How many times have you been sitting talking to another mom or another parent who just says, man, I just get so angry at my kids sometimes. I don't know what to do. Do you ever find anger welling up in you around your kids? It's not a question about parenting tips. That's a theological question that you have the answer to. The response to that is, absolutely I do. Life gets hard. Life is stressful. My kids drive me nuts. What I've been doing, though, is when that anger wells up in me, I've been trying to pray and ask God for his help in dealing with my kids because I see my kids as my greatest mission field, and I want to represent Jesus well to them. I haven't been perfect at it, but it's help. Is prayer something that you've tried? Boom, you're in a gospel conversation. People who are looking for opportunities see them everywhere. Wisdom also means being gracious, he says. He says our, our speech should be gracious, seasoned with salt, which is another way of saying wise. I'll just say this quickly. I don't have a ton of time to belabor this point, but I have noticed that belligerent, angry Christians don't make great missionaries. You've perhaps walked past the guy, maybe at a sporting event or a concert, he's got a sandwich board and he's got a bullhorn and he's yelling at you, telling you, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. I don't see like mass people coming to faith at those sandwich boards, do you? Even if what he's saying is true, it's not gracious. It's the opposite end of the spectrum is equally ungracious. To not tell people the truth is not tell people the truth is just as wrong. God calls for a middle way where we are kind with people. Just like his kindness leads us to repentance, Corinthians says, God calls us to be kind and gracious with other people, but also honest by the truth of the gospel. There's more to be said there. We'll do it later. Third thing, missionaries, you have to know is this, is that mission is for all of us. Mission is for all of us. Reaching Jacksonville and this area for Christ is not my job. It's not Matt's job. It's not Craig's job or Joe's job or any member of this church staff's job. It's our job. The reason chapter four of a four-chapter letter takes so long to get through is because Paul spends more than half of it rattling off a list of people who help him in ministry. It is a group project, and not the kind of group project some of you did in school where you let the smart person do all the work and you got the grade. No, we got to do it together. Mission is for all of us. If you are redeemed by Jesus, you are sent by Jesus. In this list of names, he lists other missionaries for sure, but he also lists doctors, he lists slaves, he lists a small group host. I mean, he just lists just normal people who have said, because of what Jesus has done for me, I must proclaim that to other people. 
God is sending all of us with the message of the gospel. And if you don't take anything else from our time together this morning, take this. You are sent as a missionary into your world. You are sent to your neighborhood. Think of the people who live into the house to the left and to the right, to the house across from you. Think about the the person who walks their dog past your house every day and somehow always stops to pee in your yard. You are sent to that person. God in his providence has put that dog in your yard so that you can strike up a relationship, share the good news of the gospel with them, and they can spend eternity with you in heaven. That dog will no longer pee on your yard there. You are sent to your neighborhood. You are sent to your job. God has not put you arbitrarily in your place of employment. He's put you there as a missionary. The person who sits at the next desk is not there because they have the same job title or the same function or because you need to work together. They're there so you can share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for you with them. The one who always gets paired with you at the job site, it's not an accident. God is calling you to step out in faith and share Jesus with that person. You're sent to your family, your kids or your spouse at home who don't know Jesus. Those are your mission field. Your parents, your siblings, your extended family, God has given you relationships with them so that you might share the good news of Jesus with them. And it's interesting to me that Paul, perhaps the most gifted missionary that ever lived, I mean, gosh, think about how talented Paul was, the spiritual gifts he had for understanding culture, for breaking down theology, for evangelism. I mean, the gifts that he had. That's Paul. And he needed a team of people to do this with him. So the mission task is for all of us to do, but it's for all of us to do together, I would say, as well. This is why small groups, I think, are so important. Small groups are important for discipleship, and they help us grow in our faith and connect to other people in the church. All that is very good. But I think small groups should also help us live on mission together. We can gather with like-minded individuals. We can pray for the lost together. That's a great space to do those regular prayers. You can hold one another accountable to sharing Jesus. You can bounce ideas off of one another. You can encourage one another to continue being faithful in this area. So I want to encourage you, if you're not in a group, get in one. And if you are in a group, make sure mission is a key component of it. Because each and every one of us who knows Jesus has been sent by Jesus into the world with the good news of the gospel. We are sent. Mission is for all of us, church. Here's how I want to conclude today. I want to conclude with some very, very practical Steps. What do I do next? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Maybe typically a sermon like this ends with, with, with the preacher saying, hey, I want you to go tomorrow and share Jesus with some people. And that's great. If you want to do that, I would be thrilled. That would be awesome. But before that, I want to encourage you to prepare to be used by God. My encouragement, my application item, my next step for you is to prepare to be used by by God, to share your faith. And to do that, just as we've said, that begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. I want to encourage you to begin praying for opportunities to share the faith. Pray for people specifically, by name, who need to know Jesus. Even as I've been talking this morning, many of you, I'm quite sure, know people in your life who need Christ. Begin praying for them regularly. Pray for the courage to speak when the opportunity presents itself, because you're going to be praying for open doors 
So also pray for the courage to walk through them when the Lord places them in front of you. Pray for opportunities, pray for courage. I'm going to also encourage you, and you're going to think this is weird, and that's fine. I'm used to that. I want to encourage you also to practice what you might say. Practice what you might say. I want to encourage you to make sure you know the basics of the gospel. Make sure you know how Jesus works. What does he do? What's the point? How did he save you? How might he save someone else? People often frame the gospel in terms of four kind of uh, words or four movements, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Maybe you've heard this in a Bible study or something like that. It's a good guide for sharing the faith with someone else. Creation, God's created the world perfect so that we can have perfect fellowship with him. But then fall, right? Sin enters the world. It separates us from God. And our sin separates us from God and makes us enemies of God due to be punished by him. But redemption happens because God sends his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. And in so doing, he makes us whole again and he restores, that's the last word, restoration. He restores our relationship with the Father. What would it look like to just practice on the drive home telling someone that? What would it look like, maybe a different angle, to practice your own story? If you're a Christian in this room today, you have a gospel testimony. And every story happens just like this. This is who I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus and what he did for me. And this is who I am since I've met Jesus. That's everybody's story. What would it look like to tell your spouse or your friend or your coworker that story? Hey, before I met Jesus, I was living for myself. I was trying to squeeze all the fun I could out of this world, and it left me hollow and empty. And I heard the gospel message from a coworker who shared Jesus with me, and I just knew it was true, even though I didn't understand all of it, so I put my faith in Jesus. And since that time, I've been trying to follow Jesus with my life. It hasn't been perfect but I've been trying to live the way he's called me to live and point others to him because I have so much hope and joy now in Christ. You have a story just like that. What would it look like to practice telling it so that you're used to those words rolling off your lips so that when that door does open, you're able to step into it? So your takeaway this morning is not necessarily to share, but to prepare. As I think about that, I think about what might happen if this church got a passion for sharing the gospel. If this church decided to live out their God-given identity as missionaries in our community. There are somewhere, I don't know, we're trying to figure it out, but somewhere between five and 700 people connected to Fort Carolina Baptist Church in a regular way. Like just, you guys are here, week in and week out, month in and month out. What if every one of us decided that this year we're gonna share the gospel with five people, right? I'm no math major, but that's a lot. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would hear the gospel if all of us decided to take on just five. And what if, let's not get crazy with our goals, what if just 10% of those believed, put their faith in Jesus? That's hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people in our community, in our families, in our lives, into the kingdom of God that weren't there before. We wouldn't have room in these two services for half of them. We'd have to go to four services to fit them in here. This place would be overflowing. People would be standing up. We would blow out these walls to fit them in here. My office is right over there. I have to give it up. We need the seats. Wouldn't that be incredible, church? To see lives transformed, not because this is the coolest church on earth, although it is. Not because we're the most fun people to be around, although we are. 
but because Jesus is still saving people and he's using us to do it. It can happen. This is how it happens. Historically, this is how movements of God happen. People begin praying and people begin speaking in that order. I want to ask you to begin praying now and begin to prepare to speak tomorrow. What if God did it, guys? I think he can, I think he wants to, and I think he will if we ask him to. We're going to respond by worshiping. Our only hope for this to happen, our only hope for salvation is Jesus, and so we're going to sing to him. Maybe in this time, as we're singing, the Lord brings someone in your heart and in your mind that you want to be praying for. You can begin even during that song to pray that the Lord may rescue them. But then let's go from this place, church, and let's prepare ourselves to be used by God. Like a tool in God's hand, let's make sure we're sharp and we're ready to go so that when he decides to make use of us, we are prepared. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that someone shared the gospel with me. That someone was obedient enough to walk through an open door when it presented itself, had the courage to speak even if it wasn't perfect, and God, above all, I'm thankful that you and your kindness made me new through the power of what Jesus has done on the cross. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use us to do that again and again and again in the lives of those around us. Even as we think now of those in our lives who need you, would you give us persistence in our prayers? Would you give us great faith to trust you even when it doesn't work immediately, even when it takes longer than we'd hoped? Would you give us great persistence nonetheless? And then, Lord, would you open doors for us to share the good news of who you are and what you've done with other people? Help us to spot them when they're open and to walk right through them, trusting you to meet us there. And then, Lord, would you save? Would you open the floodgates, Lord? Would we have baptism after baptism after baptism here on Sunday mornings because people are putting their faith in you? And we'll know when that happens, Lord, it's not because of our skills, it's not because of our abilities, it's not because of anything other in your goodness and graciousness and kindness and mercy towards us. And so would you do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.